this is your first time or first time in a while, we've been in a series entitled First. And uh, we began the series first on the first Sunday of uh, the year. And the first uh, week, number one, we looked at the incredible story in the Old Testament of David. Uh, right after he had become king, we saw that the first thing that David wanted to do was that he wanted to restore the place of God's presence back to its rightful place. In, in the Old Testament, the place of God's presence was the Ark of the Covenant, right? And so David's desire was, hey, listen, now that I'm king, I want to go and I want to bring the Ark of the Covenant. I want to restore God's presence to where it rightfully belongs. And so we started the year by saying to every one of us that we ought to do the same. We ought to restore God's presence to where it rightfully belongs. And then in week number two, we were talking about uh, how Jesus, we took that principle from uh, Matthew chapter 6, where Jesus said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then we talked about what John had said in 1 John chapter 5, where he talked about, Don't be carried away, don't be involved with any idols, there at the end of John 5, verse 21. And we talked about the need of removing any type of idol. Now, idols or false gods can be things that we make, things that we create. Uh, things that we put or allow to occupy the place of control in our life that really God should have. And so that was week number two. Last week we talked about uh, the 25-year-old king, Hezekiah. And if you were here, you remember we were talking about the fact that Hezekiah's dad was, was uh, let's just say, no good. His dad's name was Ahaz, and Ahaz, he, he basically was responsible for nailing the doors of the temple shut. He wanted to get rid of uh, temple worship. And the very first thing that Hezekiah did as a 25-year-old man was he said, no, no, no. In fact, Scripture says in the first month, right away, he says, let's open up the temple. And you remember we read that Scripture, how he took the priest and the Levites and he took them out to East Street and he said, hey, look, you see the temple, open it up. I want you to go in and I want you to cleanse it and I want you to prepare it for worship. And so essentially what Hezekiah was, was dictating was that he wanted to reinstitute worship and he wanted to reinstitute holy living. And so this morning as, a, as using those three as a springboard, I want us to conclude our first series by looking in 1 Peter chapter 1. And I want to ask each and every one of you, if you're here today and you say, man, hey, I'm a, I'm a believer, I've, I've trusted Christ as my Savior, I want to ask you to consider recommitting yourself to holy living. Remember last week, everybody said in much agreement, when I, I read that verse and, and uh, I said Hezekiah was wanting to reinstitute uh, worship and holy living, and I said, I think we ought to do the same thing. And it was almost like a thunderous, uh, uh, in, in, uh, when you're preaching, it's like a thunderous round of applause when the people say amen. Everybody said amen. And so I thought, you know what? And, and to be honest, this isn't the message that I was planning on preaching before last week. And so I thought, man, maybe what we need to do as a body of believers is just recommit ourselves. Right? It's one thing to talk about it. It's another thing to do it. Recommit ourselves to holy living. And you may be here and you, you may be listening online and you say, you know what, I've never committed my life to Christ. Maybe that would be what you would desire to do first today. That you would not recommit yourself to holy living, but that you would commit yourself to holy living. And so let's begin this morning. And as we get started, it's important to understand that the pursuit of holiness or holy living is not an event that we can point back to and say, 
I, I became holy and I, I, I uh, 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 achieved holy living on this date. No, it's not an event to point back to. It's a process. It's a daily exercise that's going to be a part of our life that we need to be involved with. And, and it's an appropriate response, really, to be honest with you. Holy living is an appropriate response to God's love. Now think about it. God loved you and I so much that he offered Jesus Christ, his only begotten son, for our sins. How amazing is that? It's an appropriate response. Thank you, the one amen. It's an appropriate response to what Jesus has done for us. God loved us so much that he sent Jesus. And so uh, the reality is after Jesus comes into our heart and life, our desire should be different. It should be different. Really, it should be different. And here's the thing. The danger we all run is this year I will spiritually turn 40 years old. Is anybody 40 years of age spiritually here? Ladies, you can raise your hand. It's okay to be 40 years of age spiritually. I'm not asking, I'm not asking your age. You're like, well, if I'm 40 years old spiritually, then he knows by, by association that I'm older than 40, right? How many people have been saved for 20 years? Let's start, let's do this. 21 years of age, spiritually and speaking. By the way, that means you're an adult spiritually, right? You ought to put away childish things. 30 years, spiritually. 40 years, spiritually. 50 years. Anybody 50 and older, spiritually? Anybody 60 years and old, 60 years or older, spiritually speaking? Okay. Here we're going. 65, you're a senior citizen, spiritually speaking. Anybody? 65 years? I can't see that good, so point them out if, uh, if I don't see them. The re oh, someone back here. Praise the Lord. 65 years older. More than that, 70? Almost 70. 65 plus years spiritually. Amazing. But here's the thing. After Jesus comes in, right, Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. By the way, that doesn't mean the devil won't attack you. He's coming out. He's walking about seeking to be made of our right. But after he comes in, my desire should be different. And if your desire at 40 years of age spiritually isn't the same that it was when you were 30 years of age spiritually or 20 years of age spiritually or the day you got saved, there's a problem. In fact, Paul wrote, in Romans chapter 6, in verse number 17, watch what he says here. He says, but God be thanked, watch, that you were the servants of sin, but you have obeyed from that heart, from the heart, that form of doctrine which was delivered you, watch verse 18, being made what? Free. We've been set free. Can you say amen to we've been set free? Amen. We've been set free from sin. You became, he says, you became the servants of righteousness. See, once Jesus comes in, my desire should be for Jesus and his righteousness. My desire should be for holy living. In fact, if you were to go back just a few verses in, in Romans chapter 6 to verse number 12, notice what the Bible says. It says, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in the lust thereof. You see, once I experience, once you have experienced, once we have experienced the amazing grace of God, Sin should no longer be the priority. It should no longer be the priority or the controlling factor in our lives. And I think the reason 
we have so many struggles in our life is because we have not realized this. We have thought, well, I've trusted Christ. That's enough. I'm headed for heaven and nothing can, I, nothing stands in that way. I'm, I'm headed for glory and, you know, uh, I, I can just go out and sin. Well, no. The Bible says God forbid that we would live that way, right? Our desires should be different. In fact, Jesus says this in Romans or in Luke chapter 12 and verse 48. He actually talks about this incredibly important principle when he says, For whomsoever much is given of him shall much be required. You see, here's, here's kind of a negative thought, but in a positive spin. You and I have been bought by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. He purchased our forgiveness. He purchased our salvation through his death on the cross. And so as blood-bought children of God, we have been so incredibly blessed. Which is why. Which is why, in fact, I think I shared it at the end of last week's message. Which is why the Apostle Paul reminds every one of us that, right, that our priority, that, that as believers we ought to dedicate ourselves to the Lord. In fact, in Romans 12.1 is where we find it. Paul says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Notice the very next word, holy. That means that there's something that we must do. We must present our bodies a living sacrifice, but he says it's not enough just to offer yourself as a sacrifice. He says you need to be holy, right? And you need to do this. He says it's acceptable unto God, and he says it's our reasonable service. Oh, my friends, we need to recommit ourselves to holy living. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1 with me this morning. And if you've never read this passage, I, I pray that you will get here and read the entire letter that Peter is writing. In fact, here this morning we're going to talk about the pursuit of this holy living. But the reality is, remember, Peter is writing to believers at this time who are suffering. They're all over the world at this time. They're suffering terrible persecution. And these believers that he's writing to, they had lost their home. They had lost their property. They had lost their money. They had lost their possessions. They had lost their friends. They had uh, been forced to flee from what was comfortable to them. They had been persecuted the world over. And you want to know why they were being persecuted? Because of Jesus. Because they were believers in Jesus Christ. Let me ask you a question. When was the last time you personally were personally persecuted because you told somebody I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. We have been so blessed in this country. Listen, before we go out and start throwing rocks from that glass uh, uh, home that we live in called the United States of America, we ought to remember that people around the world today are being persecuted and suffering for their faith in Jesus Christ. We have the Voice of the Martyrs banner on the side of the wall as you walk around. People in other parts of the world are not able to gather for worship. Notice what he writes here. Look at verse 13. Verse 13 and following. Through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Peter writes this. He says, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your, in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. 
Now, incredibly, up to this point, if you read the beginning of 1 Peter 1, he's talking about uh, uh, the wonder and the greatness of salvation. He's talking about the fact that we have a lively hope or that our hope is living, it's incorruptible, and on and on. And so he's talking about this fact. But as for believers, think about this, guys. Because of God's love, you and I have been forgiven and saved from sin and death. That's good news. You, if you're a believer here today, you've been forgiven, right? And you've been saved from sin and death. That's good. I just, I just like hang out and wait. That's good news. As believers, we get to go live with God eternally. That makes my back feel better. And it's hurting today. But here's the deal. We must remember that we're not in heaven yet. We're not saved from the presence of sin and death yet. We're still living in a world filled with evil and corruption. Everywhere we turn, it's everywhere. And it's running rampant. Like those believers then, you and I will be called to face trials and temptations in this life. You and I will face persecution. You and I will face suffering. You and I will face temptation. You and I will still have to deal with that ugly three-letter word called sin. And so Peter is writing, and he's saying, listen, guys, recommit yourself. He's writing to believers. He's saying, recommit yourself to holy living because he that is holy is saying, be like me, be holy. Right? And so we must recommit ourselves or commit ourselves to this idea of holy living. And it begins, by the way, do you know what recommitted, where it begins? It begins right here. It begins right here in the heart, in the mind, where we desire. We say, Lord, help me to recommit myself to living in a way that brings you honor and it brings you glory. It begins right here. And then, and then it's shown how we live our lives. A.W. Tozer, it was A.W. Tozer who said these words. He said, the holy person is not the person who cannot sin. He said, the holy person is the one who will not sin. Oh, listen, we need to be living holy. Holiness is our goal. While reinstituting and recommitting ourselves to holy living, it sounds easy enough. The question is, how do we go about doing it? Well, I think it's important to understand that if you and I are pursuing holiness, what we're saying if we recommit, you say, well, okay, so I, if you would end the message in the next five minutes, I'll go ahead and recommit myself to holiness, right? But what we have to ask ourselves, we have to say, well, if I recommit myself to holiness, what, what is that all about? Guys, when I and when you recommit ourselves to holiness, the goal will to be to become more like Jesus. That's what a recommitment to holiness looks like. The desire to become more like him and less like the world. And so, so as we look at these, at these uh, verses here, we have to understand the, the news flash, if you please, of the morning. Is that holiness, living holy, doesn't come by chance. It comes by choice. You have a choice every day. You have a choice when you walk out of here and when you get on Route 29. And people can offend you in all types of ways when you get out on Route 29. You have a choice. I'm going to be holy or I'm not going to be holy. Ladies, you have a choice. You can be holy women of God. Men, you have a choice. You can be holy men of God. Young people, you can be 
holy young man, holy young lady of God. Or you can choose, or you can choose to be less and less like Jesus and more and more like the world. But I'm, I'm begging you today, listen, let's choose holiness. Let's become more like Christ in 2020. Because I don't know what a day brings forth. But I want to be ready to meet Jesus. And so if holy living is the goal, how do we get there? Number one, if you're a note taker, notice verse 13. Verse 13 says, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. If you're a note taker, write this down. Recommit. We must recommit ourselves to the process. The process of holy living. You see, there's a process that cannot be denied when we look at Scripture. Notice the phrase there in verse 13. It says, gird up the loins of your mind. Now, most of you, when you read that in King James, you're like, there goes the King James Version again, talking about girding up the loins of my mind. I have no clue what they're talking about. Therefore, I'm going to go buy the children's 365 days of the Bible in a year. Right? That's why we're to study to show ourselves approved unto God. Workman that needeth not to be ashamed, but rightly dividing the word of truth. You see, when the Bible says gird up the loins of your mind, it literally means this. To gather up, watch this, all the loose pieces and thoughts of your mind. You ever heard the phrase, that person is scatterbrained? They're, they got thoughts here, there, and yonder. Our mind is going in a million different places all at the same point, right? The Bible is saying, gather up all the loose thoughts of your mind. Now, why would Peter tell believers who are suffering persecution to gather up the loose thoughts of their minds? He says, hey, listen, if you're going to live holy, you got to gather up all the loose thoughts, all the lost pieces of your mind. See, the, the, the point is, I put down in my notes, that as you and I negotiate the battlefields of life, anybody been through a battlefield lately? By the way, there's a minefield just around every corner. It's always been said, you know, you're either on the mountain, you're in the valley, or you're in between. You, right? You don't know what's coming around the corner. But as we go through these minefields and battlefields of life, what the Bible, what God's Word is saying is that as we renego uh, negotiate these things, we have to refocus on things that matter. See, we get carried away with so many things. We let our mind drift and we're worried and we're anxious about all kinds of different things. Do you know what needs to be the priority in my life? It's okay, you could say it, Robert. Jesus. That's to be the priority in my life. By the way, that's to be the priority in my wife's life. Right? After... I focus on Jesus, then my next responsibility as the husband is to focus on her. Her responsibility is to focus on me. And then after that, guess what? We're to focus on, guess what comes next? Our children. And then after that, whatever else we're doing. And so listen, Jesus is to be the priority no matter where we're at. And so God's word is instructing us. This is really cool. He's saying, believers, prepare your mind for a fight. Prepare your mind for a fight. He didn't say prepare your tongue for a fight. We all love to get in fights. The more and more I look, the more and more I see people fighting and fussing and feuding with one another. It's rare. It is very rare. I'll be honest with you. I don't look at it much because it disgusts me so much. It's very rare that I see somebody spewing love on social media. And as Christ followers, isn't that what Jesus said? People would recognize us 
if we have what? Love one for another. Oh, listen, we have to prepare our mind for a fight. During Peter Day, during Peter's day, men wore these robes. And so when they would have a strenuous task or whatnot, they would have this belt. They would take up the bottom of their robes and they would tuck their, their robes in the belt. And the reality is so that they could, they could go and do whatever was necessary, this, this idea of being prepared. And so when Peter says, gird up the loins of your mind, what he's saying is gather all the loose pieces of your mind, all the loose thoughts, bring them back into subjection because the goal is holiness. And so we have to exercise holiness. Notice the next thing it says, it says to be sober. Now, if you look in verse 13, it says, gird up the loins of your mind and be sober. This is not only referencing our self-indulgence when it comes to eating and drinking, but it's also telling us not to become inebriated with the cares of the world. Sometimes the reason we're not holy, sometimes the reason we don't live holy is because we're drunken with the cares of this world. We're focused on the, the, you know, the, the pride of life, the flesh, the world, and all these other things. We're, we're focused on my new whatever, right? We're focused on what I have, what I'm going to get, what, what I'm looking forward to getting. We're focused on the vacation that we're about to take six months from now. By the way, I'm already focused on that vacation. <laughs> but I better not focus on it more than Jesus. Oh, listen, we must be sober when it comes to the things of the world. It, notice it also, here's the really cool part. It says, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober and hope to the end of the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Notice that phrase, and to hope to the end. That phrase literally means to expect completely, perfectly, without wavering. I'm headed for heaven. I got a hope that says I'm headed for heaven. And guess what? That's what I'm focused on. Soon and very soon, I'm going to see the king. And I don't know about you, but the Bible says precious, precious in the sight of the Lord are the death of his saints. Oh, listen, I told Krista, when I check out of this place, hey, listen, just sing that old song, right? I'm going to get carried away when I get carried away. Just know I'm getting carried away. I'm going to be really carried away when I get carried away. Listen. It reminds us here when it says to hope to the end, not to become weary, not to faint, no matter how much suffering we must face, no matter how much suffering we must endure as believers, we have a living hope. It's alive. Oh, it's not going anywhere. My hope is alive. It should be cherished and celebrated every day until I take my last physical breath. Oh, and I go to see the king. You know, in... Paul's letter to the church at Coloss, he says this, look at Colossians 3, 1. You've read this before. It says, if you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. But look at verse number 2, because it says, set your affection on. Now, I've got that underlined, right? Set your affection on. Notice what it says. Set your affection on things above, not on things of the earth. Do you know that that phrase, to set your affection very similar to what Peter says, gird up the loins of your mind. It literally means to exercise your mind. Anybody ever exercise anymore? <laughs> I know it's January 26th and uh, our, our, uh, our New Year's resolutions are probably a week old by now. Um, we've given up on those things. 
But you know how an athlete, they exercise. If they don't exercise, guess what? For an athlete, conditioning becomes a problem. Spiritually speaking, if we don't set our affection on things above, if we don't exercise our mind on things that are above and not on things that are earth, spiritually speaking, we lose our conditioning as well. Oh, listen, we must make a choice every day to shift our focus away from the negative, away from the problems, away from the pain, away from the persecution, away from the mundane things of this life and choose rather to concentrate on Jesus and holy living. Oh, listen, it's a process that we must follow. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3 and following, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Notice verse 5, casting down imaginations and in every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity, watch this, every thought. Those loose, those loose thoughts of the minds. Bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Oh, listen, as believers, our warfare is spiritual and it's mental. Oh, listen, we must cast down false philosophies, we must cast down opinions, pride, wickedness, anything that seeks to establish itself above and beyond God and his word is wrong. And we got to get rid of it. Romans 8 verse number 6 reminds us that to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is what? Life and peace. I like life and peace, right? I'm a peaceful person. Ask my wife. I'm a very peaceful person. I like life and I like peace. Look at verse 14 about the process. It says, as obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust and your ignorance. Listen, there's no substitute for a life of obedience that results in holy living. But by definition, if, if, if my child, if I have a child, I walk over here towards the teenagers, right? If I have a teenager who is not is not obedient, by definition, they have become what? Disobedient. The same is true for us spiritually. If we're not obedient to God and His Word, the reality is we have become disobedient to God and His Word. And if we're disobedient children, right, go back to the verse, if we're disobedient children, then there's no cause to think that you and I are ever going to be able to fulfill verse number 15 and verse number 16, which is calling us to be holy. And so we have to exercise this obedience. And by the way, do you know that self-control is a part of holy living? It's a part of holy living. In fact, Paul, he's writing about running a race in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 24. Notice what he says. He says, know you not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize. He says, so run that you may obtain. Now here's the key. Look at verse 25. He says, and every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we, he's confirming what scripture says in 1 Peter 1 about an incorruptible crown. He says, but we an incorruptible one. He says, look here, verse 26, I therefore so run not as uncertainty, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body right and bring it into subjection lest that by any means when I have preached to others I myself should be a castaway Paul here in verse 25 when he speaks about being temperate in all things he's talking about exercising self 
self-control, self-restraint. He's actually confirming what he says to the church at Colossus. In Colossians chapter 3 and verse number 5, you can look at it later. But there in verse number 5, he's talking about mortifying or putting to death the deeds of the flesh. And the only way we do that is we exercise some good old-fashioned self-control. I remember when I was a child, I've told many of you before, we used to have the store called Kresge's. It was the precursor to Kmart and Walmart. And in Kresge's down in Springfield, Virginia, uh, I remember old Charlie Javins, he would give my brother and I a quarter. And a quarter would last all day if you weren't silly about it. And that, in that time, you could go and you could get a big buddy. Does anybody remember what big buddies were? Who, who, who remembers what a big buddy was? Yeah, it was a big old long piece of bubble gum. Uh, you know, it was a big long stick of bubble gum. And so I was getting a big buddy. I always wanted to get a big buddy. And they had like a soda ca counter where you could get like a vanilla Coke or cherry Coke or something like that. But here's, here's the reality. Uh, if I didn't exercise some self-control or self-restraint, none of those things would be possible, right? Because a child, when you put a dollar in their hand, they want to blow it right there at the, at the checkout station, right? They see the candy left and right. The only problem now is a dollar won't do it because there's tax, right? I, I, you very rarely find any candy or anything that's less than a dollar now, so that doesn't even work. It's like you're having to give them five dollars, right? Guys, if you and I are going to recommit ourselves to holy living, we must also commit ourselves to exercising some good old-fashioned self-control. As believers, it's important that we remember that we're no longer under the leadership of evil appetites, but we're under new management. Amen? I'm under new management of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. In fact, someone said this. Someone said, determination, not desires, controls our destiny. We must determine to recommit ourselves to the process. We also, number two, must commit ourselves or recommit ourselves to the principles of holy living. There's some principles. Look at verse 15. Verse 15 and 16. The Bible says, but as he which hath called you is holy, so, and in other words, therefore, be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. Now, the Greek word right there where you see word after word, holy, 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 the Greek word is the word hagios, and that word actually means sacred. It means to be physically pure, morally blameless, consecrated, and set apart. And you're saying, there's no way I can do it. You're right. Without Jesus Christ, you cannot do it. Right? You can't do it without Jesus. But with him, you can. Listen, the idea here is for you and I to be separated, to be different than other beings. And when I say different, that doesn't mean different in a, in a weird way. Right? You say, what does that mean? I think that sometimes, if we're not careful, we get this thing on our head on too tight. We screw it on. I mean, we got to be careful about putting that, Pastor Skinner used to call it our halo on too tight. We get our halo on and we think that we have arrived. I'll let everybody else know how sinful they are. I don't find anywhere in Scripture where Jesus said, you're commanded to go tell anybody how sinful they are. Uh, not my job. My job is to share the love and the truth of the gospel with people. 
They already, by the way, hold on a second. I'm guessing everybody already knows how sinful they are. Well, why do they need me telling them? It's like, right? They're not going to respond to God's love if all I'm doing is telling you, Yvonne, you're just such a sinful woman, man. I can't even believe it. You know, get that sinful junk out of here, whatever. I don't even know what to say, right? I'd have to sit around thinking about what I was going to talk about to call somebody sinful all the time, right? And by the way, if you go out and you're the one, you're going to be the, the bearer of that good news, uh, go ahead and make sure you got a, a flak jacket on. Because guess what? You're going to have some darts and some bullets coming back at you. People will tell you how sinful you are, right? We have to be very careful about this idea of throwing stones from glass houses. It really is. It, it's really incredible to me. But we must commit ourselves to the principles because look, the principles right here in the text. Look at verse 16. Peter says that, Jesus, that God is saying, be ye holy for I am holy. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul says this, having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse or purify ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, protecting holiness in the fear of God. Folks, purification Forgiveness of sin and holiness, yes, they come from God. But you and I, if we're going to live holy, have to do our part. We have to do our part. Listen, we have to make an effort every day. Self-control, refuse sinful choices. It's a command to be obeyed. It's also a demand to be observed. Look at verse 15. So be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Again, the, the word all in the Greek means all. And the word conversation is speaking of our behavior, not our talk. Be holy in all manner of behavior, not just this. Everything that we think, everything that we say, everything that we do, we should desire to be holy. In fact, by stating this in verse 15, in all manner of conversation, Peter's actually, and this is where it gets really difficult if you don't study scripture, he's actually referencing some things that would have been shared back in the book of Leviticus. He's actually, and everybody's like, as soon as I said Leviticus, all your heads went, it's like, it's like most people, they start out reading the Bible. I'm going to read the Bible this year. And then they get to the book of, the, get the book of Leviticus and they're like, Ooh. Uh, I'm going to jump forward. No, just keep reading it because there's good stuff in there. In Leviticus chapter 11 and verse 44 and 45, the first thing that Paul, uh, Peter would have been referencing here is the idea of impurity. Notice it says, for I am the Lord your God. Ye shall therefore sanctify yourselves, and ye shall be holy, for I am holy. Same thing Peter's saying here. Neither shall ye, watch, defile yourselves with any manner of creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. For I am the Lord that bringeth you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. Ye shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. Two things God's saying, I'm God. <laughs> yes, you are, Lord. He says, I'm God. And secondly, I'm the one that brought you out of bondage. Guess what? the same today you and I were living in in let's let's kind of metaphorically we were living in our own Egypt of sin and God brought us out of Egypt and he's saying to us yes you may be under the law of Jesus Christ which is a law of love but just remember I'm God you're not and I'm the one that brought you out of bondage you got to be holy as I'm holy Listen, there's no question we live in a filthy and an impure world, but God has called us all to be holy. In fact, 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse number 7 says that God has not called us to uncleanness 
And that word uncleanness means impurity, but he has called us to holiness. In Luke 19, God warns about the sin of idolatry. In verse 2, he tells Moses, he says, Speak unto the congregation and say unto them, Ye shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. But then in verse 4, two verses later, God tells Moses, he says, Listen, warn the people. He says, not only speak to them, he says, but warn the people to turn ye not unto idols. He says, don't turn to idols. And he says, make to yourselves molten gods. He says, I am the Lord your God. You remember a couple weeks ago when we were talking about idols and false gods and whatnot, and I was sharing from uh, Exodus chapter 32 how um, uh, the people, they come to Aaron, right? Moses is up talking to God, and, um, and so the people come to Aaron, and in verse 1, you remember what they said? They said, up! They told Aaron, they said, get up! Make us gods! These gods are going to go before us. And Aaron, he puts up a real fight. He says, okay, I'll make you gods. Right? If you read the scripture, he says, pull off the earrings and everything. He says, all right, if that's what you want, I'll go ahead and make you a little idol so that you can follow that idol. But notice, just six verses later, notice what God says to Moses. Remember what he says in verse number seven? He says, go and get thee down. Watch this. For thy people. He says, look, for thy people, which thou broughtest out of the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. He says, they've corrupted themselves. They've turned aside quickly out of the way which I've commanded them. You see, just like then, if my life, if your life becomes consumed with idols and false gods, little g, all that you and I will reap is more and more and more corruption. Oh, we have to turn ourselves away. The third behavior Peter would have been referring to is referenced in Leviticus 20, the very next chapter, and it would have been immorality. And in verse 7, it says, Sanctify yourselves therefore and be ye holy, for I am the Lord your God, and ye shall keep my statutes and do them, for I am the Lord which sanctify you. I don't know about you, but we, I, the more and more, the older I get, the more I see that we live in a world filled with immorality. It's running rampant. It really is. And sadly, immorality, here's where, here's where it might hurt a little bit or sting a little bit. I put down in my notes, sadly, immorality has so penetrated the lives of believers that the world wants nothing to do with Jesus. You see, what's happening is not throwing stones or anything like that, but people, believers all around this country and all around the world, they come to a place of worship, they worship the Lord, and then they exit and they go into the world, and there's no holy living, and so what happens is the world looks at those who are calling themselves believers, and the world is saying, I don't want anything to do with your Jesus, because all I see is a group of hypocrites that gather together on Sunday to make themselves feel better. Uh-oh. You see, just because we come and worship here on Sunday and sing a few songs does not make us holy. It's a daily exercise. It's not by chance that it's going to happen. It, it, it must take place by choice. Each and every day we must ask God to give us the strength to resist those things that would keep us from being holy. In his book, The Pursuit of Holiness, I like what author Jerry Bridges said. He said, as we grow in holiness, we grow in hatred of sin. He said, and God being infinitely holy has an infinite hatred of sin. His point was that the more holy that we live, the holier life that we live, the more we're going to hate sin. Oh, listen, 
we must be holy. Verse 15, as I begin to wrap this up, says, So be ye holy in all manner of all conversation. The principles of holy living, the command, the demand that we have to separate ourselves from impure, from idolatrous and immoral, and immoral behaviors is something that we must choose every single day. Yes, I beg you, recommit yourselves to the process. Recommit yourselves to the principles of holiness. But right here in Scripture, it's amazing in verse number 16, we can recommit ourselves to the pattern of holiness because verse 16 reminds me, it says, Be ye holy, for I am holy. In other words, God is the Holy One, and as ambassadors for Christ, holy living should not be an option. It's an obligation. We're His representatives. We're on the, we're on the payroll. You say, well, hold on. I haven't been paid anything. You're on the payroll. You tell them about Jesus. No, you're on the payroll. You're headed for heaven. How much is that worth? The Bible says, what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Oh, listen, we're on the dole. We're on the payroll. We're his ambassadors. We represent him to a lost and dying world. God has established a pattern by which you and I are to live. He said, be holy just like me. Earlier I alluded to it. Without Christ, we can do nothing. But with him, we can do all things that he wills for us to do. I don't, want to take that, I don't want to take that scripture out of context. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. What it's actually saying is that I can do everything that he desires, everything that he wills for me to do. And I got news for you. He wills, he desires for us to live holy. So guess what? If his desire is that I live holy, I guess that based on the authority of God's word, I can do it. Right? Oh, because that's his desire, is that I live holy. You see, God is holy in his person. He's holy in his purpose. Holy living requires that you and I separate ourselves from sin. It requires that we dedicate ourselves to doing good. Jonathan Edwards said this. He said, a true and faithful Christian does not make holy living an accidental thing. It is their great concern. As the business of the soldier is to fight, so the business of the Christian is to be like Christ. Holy living. Oh, we have a, a pattern to follow. Hebrews 12 in verse 14 says this, Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man can see the Lord. Today we have a choice. We have a choice. We can go on living as we are, or we can recommit ourselves to holy living. The choice is up to you. As your pastor, I'm going to encourage you. I'm going to beg you. I'm going to admonish you. Whatever other uh, adjective you need me to throw in there, I will do it, right? Because I want you to choose holiness. Why? Because God's honor's at stake. His honor's at stake. You say, well, what about you? I recommit myself to holiness too. We all need to do it. Every one of us must recommit ourselves. And you say, well, what if it wears off tomorrow? Then recommit tomorrow. What if it wears off next week? Recommit next week. But make your goal, make your desire holiness. Notice what I just said, make your goal, make your desire holiness. I had a professor I shared with the Bible study class earlier. He said these words, and I close with the message. 
He said, if you aim at nothing, if holiness is my goal, but if I don't set the goal of holiness, if I aim at nothing, he said, he said, boys, if you aim at nothing, you hit it every time. I remember the first time I was a little boy, my granddaddy brought out the little BB gun and he set up the little cans over by the barn and we were just, ting, if you could hit the can. The goal was to hit the can. The goal for believers is holy living. Be ye holy as he is holy. Maybe you're here and you've never committed yourself to holy living. I pray that you'll understand God loves you so much. He loves you so much that he sent his son to die for you in your place so that you could live an abundant life. Have that life more abundantly, right? If you're here today and you say, I'm a believer, but I'm not living holy. I want to beg you, recommit yourself to holiness. God will give you the strength. He'll give you the wisdom. He'll give you the power to do it. But you're going to have to exercise some self-control each and every day. You're going to have to be willing to follow the process, the principles, and observe the greatest pattern of all. And his name is Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity to be here today. And Lord, as we have seen, the choice is ours. I pray that each and every person in this room would recommit themselves, unsaved or saved alike. If there's somebody here that doesn't know Christ, that they would commit themselves first by opening up their heart and asking Jesus to come in and to forgive them and to become the Lord and Savior of their life. But if there's somebody here that is a believer, God, I think they probably already know whether they're living holy or not. So Lord, I pray that each individual that needs to do so would recommit themselves in this beginning of this new year, in the first month of this new year, as we've looked at restoring you to your rightful place in our heart. We've looked and talked about getting rid of gods and idols out of our life. We've, we've looked at reinstituting worship and holiness. God, now it becomes important for us to commit ourselves to holiness. And so Lord, I pray that you'll have your will in your way during this time of invitation, that people will make that choice. They'll, they'll desire today to ask you to come into their life to renew that desire that they might present their lives holy and acceptable unto you for which we know scripture tells us is our reasonable service Lord we love you we thank you for the time that we've had in your word and I pray that God as we go away from this place you would be honored and glorified by all the things that we think say or do Lord be with our friends and our church members who are out today sick those that are preparing for surgeries, those who are in the midst of difficult times with suffering loved ones, God, I pray that you'll meet every need according to your divine will. God, strengthen us that we might be holy. Lord, we love you, we thank you, we praise you. In the precious name of Jesus and for his sake, and all of God's people said amen and amen. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like more information about our ministry, check out our website at battlefieldbaptist.org or follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We'll see you next time.